If you would, make your way to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is where we're going to be at uh, in Scripture uh, today. Just want to catch you up, make sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, we are emphasizing winning uh, the day. And when I say winning the day, what I mean by win the day is to start your day with God's Word. Before you go to any other source of information, start with God's Word. And the reason that I refer to it as winning the day is I believe that how you start your day is how you'll spend your day. So if you start your day looking at Facebook, you'll spend your day thinking about comparison and what other people are doing. If you start your day with the news, you'll spend your day thinking about all the things that are happening in our country in relation to politics or what have you. Um, this past week, I got up and I grabbed my phone. I was thinking of something that I'd posted on Facebook the night before and I wondered, had anybody commented or liked it? And just out of, just kind of in that still waking up out of habit, I started to open up my phone to look at that. And I was reminded, no, that's, that's going to take me down a road of looking at things that are worthless. I need to start my day with things that are worthwhile. Some of you might have had the experience this week where you were tempted to open up your phone and look at social media before you got to God's Word. Or maybe you were tempted to watch the news this week first thing because there's some big things happening. In case you have missed it, one of our Supreme Court justices passed away. Now there's a major decision that's being made about her replacement. Um, here at the end of the election season, about 40 days to go towards the election. President Trump has the opportunity to nominate his third Supreme Court justice. And that's a big deal. Because in our democracy, the way it works is Supreme Court justices have an incredible amount of influence on our nation. There's only nine of them. So one of nine has an incredible amount of influence, whereas one senator is one out of a hundred. One congressman is one of hundreds. A Supreme Court justice is one out of nine. Supreme Court justice is a lifetime term. So whoever is nominated, put into this position, will serve throughout their lifetime, most likely. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who just passed away, was nominated as a Supreme Court justice in 1993. That's been a little while ago. I was 11 years old when she was nominated. I'm slightly older than 11 now. So Supreme Court justices have a dramatic influence on the interpretation of laws in our country. And they have a dramatic influence for a long period of time. And so for that reason, people are in an uproar right now about whether or not we're going to get another Supreme Court justice nominated during President Trump's term. But I want you to see something in Scripture today. In Isaiah 40, I want you to see that even the most influential and longest lasting position in our nation's government is nothing in comparison with the power and endurance of God's ancient and eternal everlasting truth. Isaiah 40 in verse 15 says this, Behold, or look, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the islands as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing. 
they are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. Recently went to the doctor. First thing that they wanted to do once I went back from the waiting room is they wanted to weigh me. And so when it came time to be weighed, I took everything out of my pockets and set it on a chair. Try to lighten the load as much as possible. And if you've ever had to be weighed, maybe you've done something like that. You've tried to get rid of whatever weight you can before you step on the scale. Probably none of us, though, before you step on a scale, dust the scale off. Because that would be extreme. What Isaiah says is that the Lord counts the nations like dust on a scale. That's how inconsequential they are. And the great balance of things in the world, they're like dust on a scale. They're like drops in a bucket. They are as nothing to him. Verse 23 says, He brings the princes to nothing, and he makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he also will blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her, her desire was to live long enough for a different president to nominate her replacement. She's one of the most powerful, had one of the most powerful positions in our nation, but she could not extend her life another four months. The judges of the earth are like the rest of us. Those in powerful positions of authority and wealth and influence are like the rest of us. The winds of time carry us into nothingness. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He doesn't die. He doesn't even grow tired. He doesn't even grow exhausted. He continues on and his understanding is unsearchable. And it is he who gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've told you before that Isaiah is a fortunate prophet in the sense that he gets to give the prophecy of condemnation and judgment, but also the prophecy of grace and promise. Isaiah tells the people the bad news, but he also gets to tell them the good news. He tells them the bad news that they are going to be judged, but he tells them the good news that God is going to show them grace. Jewish rabbis refer to the book of Isaiah as two separate books. Chapters 1 through 39 are a book of condemnation. Chapters 40 through 66 are a book of consolation. They've experienced the condemnation, and now Isaiah is giving them consolation. He's writing to a group of people who were going to be carried off by the Babylonians as captives. They were going to see this powerful army, this powerful nation, more powerful than any nation they'd ever seen before, more powerful than any empire had ever been before, was going to carry them off into captivity. And Isaiah is giving them consolation. And what is he telling them? He's telling them 
The nations of the earth are nothing in God's sight. This big, bad, powerful Babylonian captivity is nothing in comparison with what the Lord can do. So the Lord is telling them through Isaiah, I know you're surrounded by evil people. I know the evil people are in powerful places. I know that they have great armies. I know that they are ruthlessly wicked, but know this, the princes and the judges of the Babylonians are nothing in my sight. He says the nations of the world are a drop in the bucket. The overarching theme of Isaiah 40 is that God is greater than their circumstances. And to a group of people in the midst of a pandemic, in the middle of a nation that is in upheaval, hear me, God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than these circumstances. So now that you've got the spirit of Isaiah 40 in your hand, let me show you how it's applicable to this moment right now. Let's look back at the beginning of the chapter. Isaiah 40 and verse 1. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people. It's repeated there to emphasize this is the change of gears. Chapters 1 through 39 have been condemnation. Now comfort my people. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And every mountain and hill will be brought low. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the rough places will be made smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the voice of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah is to give the people of Israel comfort. He's to give them consolation and he gives it to them in two parts. The first part is in pardon. He says, your iniquities have been forgiven. Your iniquities have been paid. Jerusalem, I have given you double the punishment for your sins. So now your sins have been taken care of. You've been forgiven of all of the sins of your past. So the first part of their comfort is they've been forgiven of their sins. The second part is that God's presence is coming. How many of you, you prepare the house a little different when company's coming, right? Put everything away. He says, make the high places low, make the crooked places straight. What's he telling? He's saying that you need to prepare for God's arrival. When John the Baptist would come as a precursor to Jesus, he would come as one crying in the wilderness to make the road straight for the king who was coming. Back then when kings traveled to a place, there weren't good roads and highways, so they would have someone who went before their caravan to make sure that there were good roads for them to get where they were going. So their long caravan, their long carriages, their long convoys of troops could make it to the place that they were going. He's saying, make the roads straight because the king is coming. The Lord is coming. And verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. The thing that you and I desperately need is we need to be forgiven of our sins, and we need God's presence in our lives. That's the thing that we need. That's the thing that we need in our worship services. If we gather and God is not here with us, we are wasting our time. Doesn't matter how good the singing is. Doesn't matter how good my preaching is. Doesn't matter how good the snapple is after the service. If God's not present... We're wasting our time. 
So the Lord gives them this consolation. And then the Lord wants them to be comforted through pardon and presence. But that pardon and that presence rest upon a promise. Look back at the passage. The voice said, verse 6, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. All of us are like grass and maybe some of us who are really good looking and really impressive are like the flower or like the dandelion that crops up in the yard. But the grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Show of hands, how many of you have had something break just after the warranty on that item has expired? Right? That's happened to me so much in my life that when the warranty on something runs out, I expect it's going to break, like it's due to break now. Need to take it easy, the warranty is worn out. The people know that promises come and go. People know that nothing can be counted on. And so he says, listen, the grass may wither and the flowers fade. Man may wipe, be wiped out, but God's word will stand forever. Isaiah is telling them that their comfort comes with a warranty that lasts for eternity. That comes with a promise that this will never wear out. The kingdoms that have overcome them will fade away, but the word of God will stand forever. Isaiah is telling them, your flesh is like grass, and the best of you is like the flower, but all of it is blown away, but the word of God remains. Now, Spurgeon points out that we need to be careful that we don't just see ourselves in this, but all of our systems, all of our patterns, all of the things that we give ourselves to. He says the meaning of this text is not only that man is frail and must die, but everything connected with man is such. Everything that man can do, all his surroundings, everything especially in which man glories, as the grass may glory in its flower, everything of which man boasts, about which he measureth and esteemeth, it shall all pass away. Remember that all of the hopes of man that have to do with man are as the flower of the grass which fades away. Here's our trouble. We've come to expect too much out of temporary things and expect too little out of eternal things. We've come to focus too much on temporary things and focus too little on eternal things. And all around us, there are systems that constantly feed us the temporary and distract us from the eternal. All around us, there are systems that feed us the temporary and distract us from the eternal. Right now, it's harvest season in Indiana. Every day this past week when I have driven home, there have been combines in the fields around my house harvesting the corn and harvesting the soybeans. And behind every one of those combines, next time you're driving down the highway and you see those combines, behind every one of them, if they're running, there is a cloud of dust. Because of that cloud of dust, it's not just harvest season, it's allergy season for Daniel. Now what's happening inside of that combine is just a really mechanized form of the way people have separated the grain from the shell for thousands of years. Now, years ago, people would harvest their grain and they would take it to a, a place with hard ground and they would beat it on the ground. 
They would separate what was obvious, but then there would be the grain and the shells of grain, and they would put it in a basket, and they would flip it up in the air. And they would flip it up in the air as the breeze was blowing, and the breeze would carry away the shell because it was light. But the grain, because it was substantive and heavy, would fall back to the basket. Inside of a combine, that same thing is happening. There is a large fan that is blowing out the back of the combine. And the combine is full of implements that are breaking and grinding and cutting the ears of corn or the stalks of soy. And through all of those tools, all of those implements, cutting and grinding, is brought into little fine particles, and the fan is blowing, and the fan carries the junk out the back as the grain falls down. It's caught in a tray that is augured up to the top in the grain bin. And if you see one of those combines when it's nearly full, you can see all of the corn starting to crown above. But it fell down because it was heavy and then was moved up there by my machine. Here's what we have right now in our culture. We have the reverse of those combines. Imagine if instead of that system to get the substantive grain, the system was built to grab all the garbage that was blown out the back. What we have all around us in sources of media, in sources of social media, in our culture is a thing that is constantly separating what is temporal from what is eternal, what is flimsy and what is substantive. And instead of giving us the substantive, it's giving us the temporary. It's blowing the trash in our face. You open your phone, garbage. You turn on the television, garbage. And it's a combine that instead of separating the good from bad so that we can hold on to the good, it's separating the good from the bad so that it can feed us the bad. Our trouble is today that we have become used to a diet of chaff. We've become used to a diet of shells. All around us there are mechanized and efficient machines that are constantly blowing the garbage into our face and we've become used to it. And so at best, at best, right now, we are totally caught up with nations and judges. At worst, we're totally caught up with drama on Facebook. At best, we're upset about our politicians. At worst, we're worried about what so-and-so thought of our selfie. None of it matters. None of it matters in comparison with God's word. Now hear me. I'm very interested in who our next president is going to be. I'm very interested in who our next, our new Supreme Court justice is going to be. But I, it's so important. But in comparison with God's word, it's not important. Do you hear me? There was a point where Jesus said, to follow me, you must hate your mother and your brother. Why would he say that? Did he want us to hate people? No. He was saying your love for me needed to be so strong that your love for them seemed almost like hatred and nothing in comparison. And there are some things that we should be passionate about here in this life, but they should be nothing in comparison to our passion for God's word. Nothing in in comparison to our passion for the truth. John Tyson said recently, we know more about what we can't control than ever before and less about what we can control. Right now, you know all about fires that are happening on the West Coast. You know about revolutions that are taking place in Europe. You know about genocide in Africa, and you can do nothing about those things They are out of your reach. 
and out of your scope of influence, but you've heard all of the awful things that are going on. But right here in our own town, right here in our own community, right here in our own county, there are all these horrible things that we don't know anything about. We think about the election that's happening in 40 days, and we think about the presidential race, where if we vote, we will be one of millions. But we know nothing about who's running for our county council and our town council. When we vote, we will be one of hundreds or maybe thousands. And we don't even know the people who are running. There's a woman who ran for sheriff in the Republican primary in New England. And she ran for sheriff because there was no one in that Republican primary seat. She's not a Republican, but she registered as one. She's a transgender woman who claims to be a man. She supports the defunding of the police. She basically was running for a position that she thought should be done away with, but she ran knowing that people would vote for her because she was a Republican. And even though they didn't know who she was, she's a Republican. She must be pretty good, must be one of my guys. And she won the Republican primary. Now, she'll lose in the general election, but she ran to point out the fact that we often vote for people in our local politics we know nothing about. But you know what Trump tweeted yesterday, or what he had for breakfast. We know more about things that we can't control than ever before, and we know less about things that we can control. And right now, we are so distracted by the things at the national and international level, we don't know what's happening right here locally, and we're so distracted by things on that level that we don't know God's word. We're focused on the wrong things. We're focused on the chaff, not the grain. I've been reading about the life of Jonathan Edwards. And in journals that he kept when he was a boy, he talked about the shortness of his life and he talked about his death. Now, if you found that your 10-year-old was writing in her journal about dying, you'd be freaking out. But the biographer of Jonathan Edwards, Marsden points out that Edwards learned how to read from the New England Primer. And the New England Primer had things like the letter G and the rhyme that went along with the letter G is, as runs the glass or the hourglass, man's life doth pass. The rhyme for the letter L, life in the grave, two less, different lessons give. Life shows us how to die and death shows us how to live. The rhyme for the letter T, Time cuts down all, both great and small. Eight-year-olds in Jonathan Edwards' time, they knew about death. They thought about the shortness of life. We protect our children from these things. We protect them from the reality of death. And death has become this sanitized thing that we don't even think about. We don't recognize that life is so short. We think that our lives are so difficult and things are so upside down right now. When Jonathan Edwards was a boy, his cousins were captured by Indians and taken to Canada. Some of them were killed. I think we live in crazy times. They lived in crazy times. We are so distracted by things that do not matter that we get averaged over things that are not a big deal. Because so many schools have had to go to online teaching during the pandemic. The public schools in Hawaii, they purchased this online curriculum that they didn't really have time to vet. And parents were very upset when the lesson for the letter G was G is for gun. And the teacher pulled out a Nerf gun. Parents freaked out. They were upset. 
Now, there were all kinds of other problems with that curriculum that were pretty weird. But a Nerf gun sends off alarm bells today. We're all worried about things that don't matter. Our culture focuses on the temporary. Our culture focuses on things that do not last. We live in the world of the 24-hour news cycle. One of America's greatest exports right now is the 24-hour news cycle. The things that we are frustrated or upset about, people in Australia and France are frustrated and upset about because they take our news. Today, something is a big story if we talk about it for three days. Used to, you had to wait three days before you found out what happened. Because everything has become so temporary, so moment to moment, We've lost sight of the eternal. And this is an old tactic of Satan. Because think about what Satan did in the garden. He got Adam and Eve to take their eyes off of the eternal and look at something as temporary as taste and something good to eat. How temporary is that? How temporary is it from the time that you eat to the time that you're ready to eat again? He got them to take their eyes off of the the realities and the truth of the eternal and look at what they wanted right now. I want you to win the day. I want you to start every day with the eternal timeless truths of scripture because I want you to focus on the long term. I want you to focus on the eternal. I want you to take the eternal kernel of truth into your life so that you're full of it and you don't want the garbage of the chaff of this world. I also want you to win the day because what scripture tells us is that when we take in the substantive truths of eternity, that that kernel of truth transforms us. We become eternal. Peter tells us in his book, he quotes this passage. He quotes Isaiah 48 and 1 Peter 1. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible or temporary seed, but of incorruptible, eternal seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is grass and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he adds this right after it. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The gospel that he has given them by which they have been born again. It was made of this incorruptible seed. And the gospel comes to dwell within us. The eternal comes to be in us and we are made eternal. We are given eternal life because the eternal comes into our lives. And that's possible because Jesus set aside his eternality. He set aside his immortality to live as a temporary man. And he brought on himself the temporariness of man so much so that he died on a cross. God died so that our iniquities could be pardoned. And because he set aside his or immortality and took upon death, we are able to set aside death and take on immortality. And the message of the gospel, when it comes to reside in our hearts, we're not only grabbing hold of something that is eternal, we become eternal. We are transformed by this kernel of truth. And like we sang about earlier, we are like jars of clay that have precious jewels hidden in them. Except this precious jewel has made us eternal. This is the pardon that Isaiah spoke of. 
Jesus took upon flesh so that we could take on immortality. Jesus stepped into the temporary and took upon that temporariness so that we could take on the eternal. And this is not only the pardon that Isaiah talked about, it's the presence that God talked, or Isaiah talked about as well. It's God coming to be among us and live within us. Because as the gospel takes root in our hearts, so does the Spirit of God. We become filled with the Spirit. Filled with the presence of God. And that's what all of this is founded upon. What's the mission of our church? We are building the church. Our friends and neighbors will join and our children will lead. And if all of that is not based upon, founded upon the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, if we are not that church that Christ spoke of when he said, I am the Son of God and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we are not that church... All of this is worthless and meaningless. But if we are a church that has within it the, the kernels of truth of eternity, what we do here will last. I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. Even our children who are here in the, the gym with us or in the nursery, they're not going to be here forever. But that truth will remain. And when we're gone, we need to pass on to them that truth that they can pass on to their children and their grandchildren. All of this is worthless unless we have that eternal truth. And when we have that eternal truth, the happenings of days and months and even years are little in comparison with the eternal truth. And that means that if our methods change, it doesn't matter, our mission remains the same. That means if our plans are turned to dust, it doesn't matter because our purpose remains the same. And that's what this pandemic has done. It has robbed us of our plans, but it cannot take our purpose. This pandemic has turned our methods upside down, but it hasn't affected our mission. We continue to be about the same thing because the eternal truth remains, no matter what happens to us or Faith Church. Mark Sayers, whose books I discovered and read this past year, he's a cultural commentator, seems to have just a great handle on what's happening in our world today, but he's also a pastor in Melbourne, Australia. And I listened to him recently talk about the fact that he hasn't met again with his church yet. If you think that the things that the government is asking us to do here in America, it's nothing in comparison with what they're being asked to do in Melbourne, Australia. And he doesn't expect that he'll be able to meet with his congregation again until a vaccine is readily available in Australia. He's thinking probably 2021, summer or fall. And he told his church, he says, you've got the ball now. You've got to break open the bread of life. You've got to break open the word with your family, with your group. Because though our church cannot meet together, the truth remains the same. And no matter what happens in the days ahead, no matter what happens next week or next year or next century, the eternal truth remains the same. All of the chaff will be blown away with the grass. But God's word will endure. I want you to win the day tomorrow because what you win the day with tomorrow in God's word will still be true a thousand years from now.